0: Good morning, if you'd open your Bibles with me this morning to, let's begin in Acts chapter 9. I want to read a few verses and then I want to turn to Acts 14 and read from Acts 14. First, Acts 9, beginning in verse 10. It's out of the story of the conversion of Saul, who we know becomes the great apostle Paul. Acts 9, verse 10. But Ananias answered, Lord, I have heard from many about this man, how much he evilly has done to your saints at Jerusalem. And here he has authority from the chief priests to bind all who call on your name. But the Lord said to him, go, for he is a chosen instrument of mine to carry my name before the Gentiles and kings and the children of Israel. For I will show him how much he must suffer for the sake of my name. Turn to Acts 14, please. Verse 19. We now pick up, regarding this man, now named Paul, as he is now doing the work of the Lord. In, in Iconium, in Lystra, excuse me, this takes place in Lystra. Verse 19 of Acts 14. But Jews came from Antioch and Iconium, and having persuaded the crowds, they stoned Paul and dragged him out of the city, supposing that he was dead. Let just stop for a minute. We read these so casually. I mean, you know how they stone people, right? Big rocks. Yeah. So he's laying there having been hit in the head with rocks. Probably, I mean, they thought he was dead. Bleeding. But when the disciples gathered about him, he rose up and entered the city. And on the next day, he went on with Barnabas to Derbe. But when they had preached the gospel to that city and had made many disciples, they returned to Lystra. And to Iconium and to Antioch, strengthening the souls of the disciples, encouraging them to continue in the faith and saying that through many tribulations, we must enter the kingdom of God. Father, I pray this morning for the word of the Lord to speak to our hearts, a word that our hearts have not often heard. And that we would hear your voice and not the voice of man, that you would speak to your church and build your church today and prepare your church for what may be ahead, whatever it may be, but especially, Lord, as we have sung this morning for your glory and your glory alone. Amen. Amen. I want to read a quote from one commentary that I read this week as I was preparing, and it said this, The book of Acts has no plot. No purpose, no structure, and no history without suffering. Is this on? Yes, it is. Okay. We're going through the book of Acts and we're looking at the testimony of the the Lord, the power and the proclamation of the gospel, the witness of the gospel through the church. And we know and we believe that we are living now in what is a between time of the two comings of the Lord, between his first coming and between his second coming. And we've been looking at the Lord's purposes and the emphasis of the book of Acts upon the God's saving purpose through the risen and the reigning Lord Jesus Christ as his church, as Matt taught last week, continues his work. And what Jesus began, we are now continuing. And this text that we just read in chapter 14 is especially important because the reference to it is of the kingdom of God as being something that is yet to come in its fullness. He says, through many trials, through many tribulations, we must enter the kingdom. So on the one hand, we know that the kingdom has come and yet it is to come. And it's to come in its fullness. And it has to be entered fully. And it has yet to be entered fully. But there's an interesting little Greek word, and is a three-letter word in the Greek, and I'm not sure if you pronounce it day or die, it's D-E-I. And it says that there must be, there must be tribulation, there must be suffering, beforehand. I'm teaching this morning on the advancement of the gospel through the book of Acts through suffering. The advancement of the gospel on the earth today through suffering. Because the church's existence and its mission has always been in the not yet time, the not yet of the fullness of God, suffering is intimately related to this Christian experience. It's amazing, though, how foreign it is to us in a biblical sense. And I'm going to give definition in a few minutes to help you understand what I mean in a biblical sense. And although suffering for us as Western Christians takes us by surprise and is avoided at all costs, It's no surprise that for Luke and the other writers, the apostles of the New Testament, that they place suffering at the very center, listen, at the very center of the Christian experience. That might seem like an extreme statement to you, but even a very casual, cursory study of the New Testament will reveal that this is true. That suffering is at the very center of the Christian experience. I'm going to very quickly read some texts from Acts. I won't have time to have you turn to them. You can write them down. But very quickly from the beginning of Acts, we see that this is true, that there's persecution, there are threats, there are beatings, stonings, and there is much suffering. Peter and John, as early as chapter 4, verse 21, it says, And when they had threatened them, they let them go, finding no way to punish them. They were threatened very early on. Acts 5, again, Peter, when the high priest rose up and all who were with him and filled with jealousy, they arrested the apostles and put them in prison in Acts 5, 17. Then in verse 40 of Acts 5, it says, And after they were beaten, they released them. Have you ever been beaten? I got beat up when I was in high school by seven guys one night in front of a theater because I went to a different school. It's no fun. Commonplace in the book of Acts. Chapter 6, Stephen At the in chapter six, and they stirred up the people and the elders and the scribes, and they came upon him and seized him. And then in chapter seven, they killed him. In chapter eight, verse one, and they arose on that day, there arose on that day a great persecution against the church. And this is now talking of Saul. Saul was ravaging the church and entering house after house, ravaging the church and entering house after house. Listen, he dragged off men and women and committed them to prison. We read that so easily. Acts 12.1, about that time Herod the king laid violent hands on some who belonged to the church. And he killed James, the brother of John, with the sword. John loses his brother in a violent manner. Not far into the history of the church. And we read the text as we began in Acts 9 of Paul's own introduction to the faith. Paul's introduction to the faith was prefaced with the words, I will show him how much he must suffer for my name's sake. Peter would tell us in his epistle, his first epistle, that this is to be expected because the Lord himself suffered. And he says in 1 Peter 4, verse 1, Since therefore Christ suffered in the flesh, Arm yourselves, he says, arm yourselves, interesting language, with the same way of thinking. The word arm means to furnish arms, to take up a weapon. He says, suffering is a weapon. Against what, Peter? Against sin. Because he goes on to say this very difficult statement, for whoever has suffered in the flesh has ceased from sin. And Peter then is explaining why we should prepare ourselves to suffer. First of all, because the Lord, our Lord himself, suffered. But more than that, he says, for us now, he says, our commitment to suffer serves as evidence that we have made a clean break with a life of sin. Because someone who is willing to suffer for someone else, especially if someone who is willing to suffer for the Lord, has made some decisions in his life or her life as it relates to sin and living a life of sin. He's not suggesting that believers who suffer have attained sinless perfection. He's not suggesting that, sinless, that, that suffering has some power to break the inclination to sin. He's not saying that at all. But he's emphasizing that those who commit themselves to suffer for the sake of the gospel demonstrate that they've made choices to live lives apart from sin. It reveals a passion for a new way of life, a life that is not yet perfect, but is nevertheless remarkably, listen, remarkably different from the lives of the unbelievers around us. And that's an amazing text. Peter says, arm yourselves with the same way of thinking. Suffering is central to the Christian experience in the New Testament. Are you sending these ahead for me or am I doing it? You're doing it for me? Why don't you let me do it because I wasn't ready to go on. And the reason it is important is because it is the way of the cross. It's the way of the cross. This is the calling of a Christian in this world because the Lord Jesus told his disciples a servant is not above his master. Turn with me to Matthew 10, please, quickly. Matthew 10, 16 through 24, really, really familiar text. But let's read it in this context. Matthew 10, 16, Behold, I am sending you out as sheep in the midst of wolves. So be wise as serpent and innocent as doves. Beware of men, for they will deliver you over to courts and flog you in their synagogues. And you will be dragged before governors and kings for my sake. Listen, to bear witness before them and the Gentiles. And when they deliver you over, do not be anxious how you are to speak or what you are to say. For what you are to say will be given to you in that hour. For it is not you who speak, but the spirit of your father speaking through you. Brother will deliver brother over to death. And the father his child and children will rise against parents and have them put to death. And you will be hated by all for my name's sake. his household. Lord Jesus often spoke about his own upcoming suffering to his disciples. He talked about it often. And I don't believe he did it so that he would get sympathy. I don't believe he did it out of anxiousness or out of fear. But I believe he did it to prepare them for what was ahead And to show them the way of the cross. A way that they themselves would one day walk. At the very end of Luke's gospel, after the resurrection, Jesus is walking on a road and two disciples are walking along and they don't recognize him because they don't recognize his appearance as the risen Lord. And he overhears them talking in their confusion about what had happened at the cross. And he asks them one question. He says to them this, Was it not necessary that the Christ should suffer these things? It's the same word as Acts 14. We must, through many tribulations, enter the kingdom. It is necessary. It is necessary. It had become such a common part of their experience and their ongoing expectation of life that Luke actually tells us in acts 5 that after peter and the apostles were beaten they were rejoicing that they were counted worthy to suffer dishonor for his name not only it was so built into their expectation so built into their 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 current experience of life that when it happened they rejoiced because they were living their lives like their master in the way that he had shown them, in the way that he had taught them, in the way that he had prepared them, we're going to see as we go through the book of Revelation this year that we as we study it, we're going to see that suffering is the dominant theme for the church through the book of Revelation. A dominant theme. It's a book that spans her history. Throughout. It's going to give us an inside view of the battle that is being waged behind the scenes. And the place and the work and the suffering of God's church in this battle. And again and again and again, we're going to read. We're going to hear the Lord encouraging the church to persevere to the end. And we're going to see repeated accounts of suffering, the church's suffering, and of martyrdom. And if you go back to the very first teaching we did in this series on Acts, we discovered that the word witness and the word martyr are the same word in the Greek because they are inseparable in the story of redemption. To be a witness is to be a martyr, possibly. To be a martyr is to be a witness. But the glorious truth is that despite or probably due to this reality, Luke punctuates his narrative throughout Acts at regular intervals with summary statements about the continued progress and spread of the Word of God and the Gospel, indicating that the Word of God, the spreading of the Word of God, is a major theme throughout Acts. Acts 4.4 says, but many of those who heard the word believe. There are summary statements throughout the book of Acts. And that word but is in reference to what had happened previous. Acts 5, in spite of the beatings that took place in Acts 5, the summary statement in Acts 6 says, and the word of God continued to increase, and the number of disciples multiplied greatly in Jerusalem. The description of Saul ravaging the church is followed by a summary statement in Acts 8.4. It says, now those who were scattered went about preaching the word. And so you see suffering leading to witness. And not only does Luke record the inability of the opposition to stop the spread of the gospel, he says that the opposition is the very means for its continued expansion. Look at Acts eleven nineteen. 19. Now those who were scattered because of the persecution that rose over Stephen traveled as far as Phoenicia and Cyprus and Antioch, speaking the word to no one except Jews. Those who were scattered... The record of Acts, the book of Acts, and the account of a church that was filled with the Spirit of God that was obediently following the way of the cross and preaching the gospel of Jesus Christ and experiencing persecution and beatings and in some cases even martyrdom is sound up summed up in Acts 12, 24, and it says this, but the word of God increased and multiplied. Brothers and sisters, the church in America needs a theology of suffering. We have many theologies of prosperity, false gospels. We have many, much theology of blessing. We've developed those sophisticated theologies of blessing and prosperity. We do not have a theology of suffering. Suffering. I don't have time to look at it, but you remember Daniel three and the story of a powerful description of three young men who stood in their day in Babylon, refusing to bow before an ungodly tyrant and his idol, 90-foot-high golden image of himself, Nebuchadnezzar, out in the middle of a plains, visible for miles. They refused to bow. And they end up in a fiery furnace being mocked by Nebuchadnezzar, like, where is your God? Who is your God that will save you now? And their answer to him was, our God whom we serve is able to deliver us from the burning, fiery furnace, and he will deliver us out of your hand, O king. But then they say this, but if not. You see, this is the theology of suffering. God is able, but if not, we will serve him alone and not your God's. Can you put that picture up for me, please, Harmony? This is an old picture. You guys have seen it before. Keith Green's album cover from many, many, that's before most of you were born. I've always loved it. I don't know, is that supposed to be Jesus standing? I don't know who it is. But I always think, you know, it's, it, it reminded me of Daniel. Everybody else is bowing, and one man is saying, no, I'm not going to bow. In the story of Daniel, it was three. Paul would write many, many, many years later from the time of these three young men in Daniel to a small church in a town of Philippi from a Roman prison. Paul would write these words, for it, is, it has been granted to you that for the sake of Christ you should not only believe in him, listen, but also suffer for his sake. Philippians 1:29. Put me back up on my slides, please. Thanks. I asked myself this week, do I really suffer? I started to get bummed. I don't want to suffer, I'm not saying I'm not a masochist, sadist, but I started to think if this is all true and it's an honor and it's the way of the cross and it's, it's the center of Christian experience, I don't feel like I do. And So I just began to ask myself what constitutes suffering for the church in America today At this time in our nation, we are not yet being beaten. We are not yet being imprisoned. We are not yet being martyred, although we know that it is happening all around the world. But in our context, it is not yet happening. I want to begin by first saying what isn't suffering for us. And I want to be careful here how I say these things. It is not the consequence of my sin. Suffering isn't the consequence of my sin. Sometimes physical sickness can be a consequence of sin if you eat too much and you get sick and then you suffer because of that. I believe in my body, I'm speaking personally right now, I bear the consequences physically of many years of drug use that I did before I was a believer. And there are things that I deal with and I have dealt with physically that I believe are associated to the drug use that I experienced. I can't call that biblically suffering. It's the consequence of my sin. I've sat before many, many men... Who have or are losing their families because of their sin, and they've wept. And I have compassion for them, but I cannot say that they're suffering in a biblical sense. They're suffering due to their sin. Emotional and physical pain can be the result of sin, severed relationships. a loss due to neglect or an attitude or an action where we lose and we suffer the consequence of the decision that we've made relationally, financially, or some other way. That's not biblical suffering. And suffering in a biblical sense is not what all men experience living in a fallen world. Due to the curse of sin that we live in, a flat tire on the freeway is not suffering. Someone defrauding our credit card, which happened to me yesterday. I got a call from American Express. Somebody's using my credit card in Kansas City. It was a pain in the neck. It's not suffering. It's living in a fallen world. Happens to all men. Death of a loved one. That's not biblical suffering. I'm not saying we don't feel a sense of suffering through these things, but it is not what we're speaking of today. Accidents, tragedies, that's not biblical suffering. Of course, the way that a Christian relates to it can be a witness, but that's not what we're talking about today. And an inconvenience to my comfort or my security or to my future is not suffering. As believers, we too, because we live in a fallen world at times, will experience what my friend of mine called a sad providence. And that is what they are. They are sad providences, yet allowed by the hand of a loving God who cares for us through the sadness of that providence. And Paul promises in Romans 8 that even these will work together for our good, does he not? Because we're called according to his purposes. Suffering for us today as Christians in 21st century America is the same as it was for the early church. It is what is the result of my obedience? What is the consequence of deciding to live righteously in a fallen world? What it costs me to say yes. And I tried to think of what that might look like for my own life. It's the pain that we feel from being misunderstood or being rejected or being marginalized by people that we love or people that we respect because of our single focus on the kingdom anybody had that happen you've been suffering for Christ it can be the result of satanic affliction in the form of sickness in the form of trial Yes, there is satanic affliction. I have come to the point in my own life where I can tell when I am under a satanic affliction. Where I know that what I'm experiencing, be it physically or emotionally, is demonic in its origin. That God is allowing it. Just like in Paul's life, the thorn that he experienced, God was allowing so that he could be strengthened in his faith and find the grace of God to be sufficient. I have learned there are times when God allows that and I can suffer in the midst of that in a very godly, biblical way and wait and find God's grace to be sufficient. For me in my life, biblical suffering, what I'm talking about today is the loneliness of walking alone at times, even within the church. Because often the narrow path is too hard, even for those who call themselves Christians. And I thought about all of these with the Lord Jesus himself, how these things were true of his life. I'm not comparing myself to him. It's he went before, he's my master, I'm his servant. But how he suffered satanic affliction, temptation, falsely accused, his own family accused him of being crazy, Loneliness that he must have experienced, not being understood, his disciples not understanding him. He experienced what it felt like to follow God, to follow the Father, to do the Father's will. That's what we are also called to do. Biblical suffering for us is living without the promise or the certainty of the future the world calls successful. Can I say this to you guys lovingly? There are no promises for you in this world. As far as what the world calls successful, you have to live by faith, brothers and sisters. You have to live by faith all day long, every day, and trust God for your life and trust God for your future. And can I say this to you? He is faithful. But it won't be easy. And at times you will suffer because you're trusting God. Ultimately, it's the price of saying no when everyone else is saying yes. And the price of saying yes when everyone else is saying no. And I want to close with this thought of how the gospel can be advanced through us today, through our suffering. It's the same way that it was for Daniel his friends, and for the early church, it's advanced through the witness of a watching world. And there's two issues of this. Two questions that a watching world will watch and, and ask themselves and maybe hopefully ask us as we, as we live in obedience and then we live this life that is costing us at this point only in the ways that I've described, not yet with the beatings and the martyrdoms and all of that yet, But this is the question. There's two of them. The first is this. Why are you willing to suffer? And you have to have an answer for that. Why are you willing to suffer? And then a second, not much unlike it. And how do you endure it? And I can't give you your answers. You have to have your own. In Acts 19, 21, Paul speaks of his desire to go to Rome. He says, I must go to Jerusalem. I mean, he said, I must see Rome. He says, I must see Rome. I must see Rome. And he didn't want to go see Rome sightseeing. He wanted to get there to preach the gospel, right? And then in Acts 23, this is amazing, verse 11, the Lord speaks to him. It says, the Lord appeared to him. And stood beside him. And this is what the Lord said to Paul in Acts 23, 11, Take courage, for as you have testified to the facts about me in Jerusalem, so you must also testify in Rome. He ended up in Rome, but not how he thought he would get there. And I thought about this. In all likelihood, he was chained to a Roman guard for 24 hours a day. House arrest in Rome. The Praetorian Guard, the Imperial Guard. This is how he would testify to Rome. And he writes to the Philippians and the Colossians from that prison. A guard, listen, a guard chained to him, following him around, probably on six-hour, four six-hour shifts, 24 hours a day. Can you imagine being that guard? As he sits down to write letters to churches, as he kneels in the corner to pray, as he decides to fast. As he worships with joy. Can you imagine being chained to the guard? As Paul is doing all of this, living his life to the glory of God in a prison. Knowing, listen, knowing, knowing that he was in the middle of the will of God. This would lead him to be able to say in Philippians chapter 1, verse 12, I want you to know, brothers, what has happened to me, listen, what has happened to me has really served to advance the gospel so that it has become known throughout the whole imperial guard and to all the rest that my imprisonment is for Christ. Two questions. Why are you suffering and how can you endure it? Paul knew the answer for his life. And then he goes on to say this, which is so amazing to me. And most of the brothers have become confident in the Lord by my imprisonment and they are much more bold to speak the word without fear. fear. This amazing witness of a man who was willing to follow God and endure the suffering that went with it and could see the hand of God in the midst of it and knew that the power of it was for the glory of God, that it was a witness to a watching world, and that the what he had wanted to happen to preach this gospel to Rome, in fact, happened. When he showed up in Rome, he, nobody knew him. He was no one in Rome. He was a prisoner that no one knew. But apparently not in a not too distant time, everyone had heard of him. The word was spreading. We need a theology of suffering. We need to understand suffering. We need to see the centrality of the Christian life as one that will, in fact, call us to this. We have to understand what biblical suffering is, what it isn't. We have to see God's desire to use our trials, the providence of God that we would not personally desire for his glory as a witness in the day in which we live. Can I say this lovingly? I'm saying this and I'm not exaggerating. Brothers and sisters, this is going to become so important for you in the days to come. Some of you could walk away, some of you may walk away. Please don't. If you belong to Him, you won't. If you're nominal, you might. You must know who you are. You must understand what it means to follow Jesus. You must have these things in your heart. You must be prepared to live this life. I want to close with this statement from A.W. Tozer, then we're going to ask you if you want to respond to this. just going to read from what something Tozer wrote. He said, there is this matter of constant need for consolation and peace, this promise of always feeling relaxed and at rest and enjoying ourselves inwardly. This, I say, has been held up as being quite the proper goal to be sought in the evil hour in which we live. We forget that our Lord was a man of sorrow and acquainted with grief. We forget the arrows of grief and pain which went through the heart of the Lord's mother, Mary. We forget all the apostles except John died a martyr's death. We forget that there were 13 million Christians slain during the first two generations of the Christian era. 13 million! We forget that they languished in prisons, that they were starved, they were thrown over cliffs, they were fed to lions, they were drowned, they were sawn in two, put in sacks and thrown into the ocean. There was much distress and many heartaches and painful bruises and flowing tears and much loss and many deaths. But there is something better than being comfortable and the followers of Christ ought to find it out. That the poor, soft, overstuffed Christians of our time, they ought to find it out. Tozer, he was right that the point, wasn't he? he, said it. He says, there is something better than being comfortable. We have forgotten altogether that there is such a thing as the joy of suffering. Let's stand together. How do we respond to this today? Lord, show us. What I said earlier about suffering due to our own sin does not mean that we don't have compassion for one another still. And we can pray for each other, and we need to pray for each other, Who those of us that are suffering the consequences of choices we've made and the consequences of living in a fallen world, and we want to be compassionate toward that today. But I feel like we just need to begin with a moment of just repentance, okay? Can we do that? Can we just bow our heads and, if you feel comfortable, lift your hands? Lord, we want to repent to begin right now of self pity, of self consciousness, of being self consumed, of ultimately worshiping ourselves. We know that you love us. We know that there's value to our life. We don't question that. But we are not at the center of the plan of redemption. You are. I ask in Jesus' name for healing right now, for hearts, that clarity would come from what I spoke today, that the truth of the word of God would come and set hearts free. Can I encourage you, if you need to repent for sin committed, and now the fact that you have become consumed with yourself due to the consequence of your sin, can I say to you that that is also a sin? And I say that lovingly. Freedom from that is repentance. It's to say, Lord, forgive me. I have sinned. I'm bearing the consequence of my sin. And I need to understand this rightly. Heal me. Father, in Jesus' name, we ask for healing and freedom. We pray for those that are suffering, Lord, due to living in a fallen world today and experiencing the consequence of sins, grip on fallen humanity in a fallen world, in our bodies, in our minds, in our hearts. We ask for healing in Jesus' name. If you need healing, come forward. We're going to pray for you. Come forward if you need healing if you need to to, to be healed of of, of needing to repent of sin and self-absorption, come forward. We're going to pray for you. Don't be ashamed. God's going to heal us. And we ask today, Lord, that you would give us wisdom and understanding and courage and faith to live in obedience for you in the day in which we live. Prepare us, our God, for what yet may come. And if you're in the room today and you are suffering right now, due to your obedience in Christ, due to what it's costing you to follow Christ, we want to pray for you as well. Come forward. We're going to pray for one another. We humble our hearts before you, Lord. We give ourselves to you today. Again, my desire is for this local congregation that we would be all that you've called us to be. We as elders, Lord, we believe that this church plays a significant role in this city because of what you've put in us. We ask today, Father, in Jesus' name, that there would be a maturity and a deep understanding of truth and of life and of this path that we follow, we walk on. Above all, we pray you would be glorified, Father, in Jesus' name.